Hello everybody, I'm your host Hal Curtis and I'd like to welcome you to The Space Industry by SatSearch, where we share stories about the companies taking us into orbit. In this podcast, we delve into the opinions and expertise of the people behind the commercial space organisations of today who could become the household names of tomorrow. Before we get started with the episode, remember you can find out more information about the suppliers, products and innovations that are mentioned in this discussion on the global marketplace for space at satsearch.com. Hello and welcome to today's episode. Today we speak to Bert Mona and Alexandra Sokolovsky from Hyperion Technologies. Hyperion is a space company based in the Netherlands in Delft. It specializes in high-performance bus components such as laser communication systems, onboard computers, attitude control systems, and propulsion. And today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, innovation and progress in the optical communication sector, sort of a growing area of the of the space industry that there's been a lot of interest in over the last few years. So, Bert and Alexandra, thank you very much for being with us here today. Is there anything you'd like to add to that introduction about yourselves or Hyperion? Well, first of all, thank you very much for inviting us here today. I think it's worthwhile mentioning that Hyperion is also part of a larger space company, ASIC Lightspace. We have been acquired last year and are now part of a larger family uh, building entire satellites, offering uh, space as a service, satellite as a service. So it's a very exciting time, not only because of laser communication, but also because we're growing. Fantastic. Let's begin with with the research aspects of this area. Research in optical communications and the pos- its possible adoption in space missions has been going on for arguably more than a decade. Could you briefly explain the pros and cons of optical communications versus the more traditional RF technologies that we're used to in space missions? I think the main difference between RF and optical communication is that for laser communication, you're not interfering with other transmitters in the neighborhood. And the main difference between not interfering and interfering is that you don't need any licenses for using laser communication. The spectrum is much larger. You can have much larger bit rates. So in the end, the the system allows for real large bit rate communications, really be able to to provide as much data communication as you would like to have on your satellite, even for small satellites. There's also a very interesting aspect to uh, laser communication because it's also more secure. It has been discussed also for other domains that laser communication is going to be used a lot for like quantum key encryption. And well, it's also quite difficult if you look at it, let's say very visually to intercept a signal that is being beamed down to your optical ground station because the beam is so small that if anybody was trying to intercept it, you would be actually able to see that person, which is uh, not the case for RF where your beam can be kilometers wide. Great. So higher bit rates, more secure systems and um, yeah, a number of benefits there to the technology. So we're seeing optical communication maturing uh, as a technology and miniaturization is, is now enabling its adoption to become you know, more realistic for small sat and CubeSat platforms in particular. So considering that Hyperion has been working towards bringing a product called CubeCat as a commercial optical communication solution to the market, could you provide us with a quick overview of what has driven the trend of miniaturization in the area and, and maturity of the technology so that you know it becomes uh, relevant for these smaller form factors? 
I think it is both the availability of components that are already being used on Earth, and for the rest, it is also mindset. What is really required? And we are specifically looking at small satellites, and that means that we are not uh, looking at terabit per second uh, transmission systems. We are typically looking at uh, bit rates that are in the, say, 1 gigabit per second, 10 gigabit per second, maybe 100 megabit per second range. And that also means that your uh, optomechanical systems can be smaller. You don't need large aperture. On, on the other hand, you could scale up to, to, to say, 10, 20, and it is already so much more than you get uh, with RF communication for small satellites. If you look at S-band that is currently being used on small satellites, you're talking about maybe 1, 2, 4, maybe 10 megabit per second. You're looking at X-band, which is goes from, say, 10 megabit per second, maybe 50 megabit per second. We are talking about 1 gigabit per second, so we are orders of magnitude larger. And having that available for small satellites is a great advantage. And again, it is not a terabit per second range for for the large satellite, but this is just a size that fits small satellites, both in data rate as well as in volume. If you look at the module that we are currently developing, the KubeCat module, it is about 1U, which means it is 10 by 10 by 10 centimeters in size. Excellent. So you're seeing that innovation really driven by market needs and by the possibilities for uh, for future missions and services. Now, one aspect of optical communication systems, I mean, Alexander, you touched on this, they, they require more accurate pointing compared to RF technology. And you mentioned that this can actually help in the security of the systems. But do you think that this requirement to enable that more accurate pointing on the satellite could um, you know, limit the adoption of the commercial market or slow down the adoption, particularly in CubeSats or SmallSats? Or do you see you know, more precise ADCS solutions making up for this, this requirement? Well, let's just say more precision is always nicer, but let's just say that uh, KubeCat has been designed in such a way that it can fly on board on a sat- of a satellite that, for instance, would have an ADCS on board as we know them today. So that would be absolutely sufficient. We also have an ADCS in-house. We know our there are more ADCS systems on the market comparable to the accuracy that we're providing. So these are absolutely sufficient. However, and this is in fact what you pointed out, the accuracy needs to be even better in order to enable that pointing. And for that, what we do on KubeCat, we use this closed loop system and fine steering mirrors on board of the satellite and the communication with the ground station to keep pointing and to basically stay connected. And this is where the accuracy magic happens. On the technology side, you think these um, these potential limits to adoption are being solved, but also there are the environmental considerations to, to think about as people are, gen- are developing products and building missions based on this technology. So, for example, are there any studies that you know of, accurate studies, ideally, on the impact of, of clouds or other disturbances that degrade the performance of optical communications? You know, How do you think this, this issue could affect the market? Yeah, clouds will definitely have an effect on the ground station. On the other hand, you will not rely only on one ground station. What you can expect is that in the coming years, uh, many ground station providers will not only look into uh, RF ground stations, but will also invest in optical ground stations for various types of, of laser communication, high data rates, low data rates. There will be more standardization. And I think uh, that this is the moment to really make the step towards uh, larger data rates. 
And what you also see is uh, CubeSats or, or small sets get more payloads that provide large data volumes. You need to have that data down. So there is definitely a need for laser communication. So the ground stations will follow. Yeah, I think the demand for ground stations with optical capabilities is growing. So do you think there is also scope for existing facilities to evolve? I think what can be added on the topic of clouds or optical ground stations is that, well, typically, wherever you place a ground station, like ground station operators, they usually tend to pick a good spot already, which tends to be cloud-free or relatively dry. So, of course, the operators that are considering adding optical ground stations to their portfolio are aware of that issue. And so I'm not really concerned that there will be suddenly a, a network of ground stations that will be placed in the, well, not smartest places in the world, are quite the opposite. And we know that there are ground station operators that are considering procuring or buying their own optical ground stations. So this is ongoing. Communications in the KA band are also emerging as a solution for higher data rate uh, requirements beyond the X band. And you've mentioned that the um, that's a real growing need in the market as the as the payloads become more complex. So do you believe that this is competing with optical communication solutions or is could the KA band work complementary to optical? Uh, I think both. In the end, all systems are looking into higher data rates. The problems with KA band are still the same as for other RF communication means, and that means uh, there will be interference. Above that, KA band is a pretty high frequency. Efficiency of RF transmitted will not be that efficient yet. And I think if you look at laser communication, it is pretty efficient, not only by the components available, but also by the narrow beam width, for example, such that you have all the energy uh, pointing to the ground station, which is really an advantage. And, and that will not be possible with KA band uh, in the same uh, level as is possible with laser communication. It would be great to see these sort of um, more innovative solutions working side by side. And I think that would also open up more opportunities in the market at, at all levels of the supply chain. And in a similar vein, I guess, this question I, I next have is about the possible applications for optical communications. We've obviously focused so far on the space to ground data transfer. But do you see possible applications in areas such as space to space or even interplanetary space missions? Definitely. I think the terminal we are, are now looking at and also competitors are working on is direct-to-earth terminals. And this is only the first step. The next step will be inter-satellite communication. It, it will uh, go to communication to the moon, to Mars, uh, interplanetary. In the end, it is not limited to a low Earth orbit to ground. So I think this is only the first step. Uh, people have to get used to it. It has to be designed in the systems. And in the end, it, it I won't say it will replace radio RF communication. It will be complementary if you want uh, one-to-one links uh, with, with high data rates. And then it is always uh, useful to look into uh, optical. Interesting. Alexandra, is there anything you'd like to add on that, the possible future applications? Well, let's just say we see that there are a lot of small satellites or generally a lot of satellites being launched into low Earth orbit. And this is where the biggest market is at the moment. So... It's a great, you could almost say, playground for anything that happens after when we look, for instance, for lunar. But uh, for like applications or immediate applications, any Earth observation mission that has a very data-hungry payload or would like to increase the sampling rate or the uh, the, the volume in or the, the resolution, 
this is like the most immediate application that we see uh, in low Earth orbit, be that for direct to Earth, then also for inter-satellite links. But I personally am also very curious what's going to happen with laser links um, for lunar applications. I find that very fascinating. So let's see where this journey takes us. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there are, it's a bit of a growing trend in the industry on the smaller satellite side that people are looking at how they can extend the, the advances they've made in technology into uh, other other spheres, other, other application areas. And um, of course, as you mentioned, the low Earth orbit is the sort of initial testing ground for some of these some of these applications and particularly the case for new technologies such as such as your own system if we bring it back to your own system so what's the current status of hyperion's kubecat and are there plans in place for in orbit demonstration or or how far along the, the scale are we there so yes we do have great plans for demonstrating the technology in space on a small satellite it's going to be flying in 2022 on board of a satellite called norsat td and we are very happy that we could get this in-orbit demonstration. Also, thanks to an ESA Skylight program, uh, we won this together with uh, TNO, and uh, we're very happy that we can be flying it for the first time in 2022. Okay, great. Well, uh, best of luck with the mission. But I think um, we've mentioned the ground segment a couple of times in this podcast already. Can I ask how you're going to get the data down from the optical system? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're very lucky because TNO is looking at the end-to-end -end, and they are also developing a demonstrator optical ground station that's going to be in The Hague. And yes, we are aware that The Hague might have a lot of clouds, but this is a different story that we have to address. It's a demonstrator and it's just very practical to have it close by and to be able to test your technology on site. So this optical ground station is basically going to close the loop and demonstrate two technologies, the optical ground station and the satellite terminal KubeCat. Brilliant. So you're testing the full range there. I think um, I think that's a, that's a great approach to it. And like I say, best of luck with the mission. Thank you. I would also like to add something to this, and that is that uh, Hyperion is also contributing to the ground segment. We are developing a detector that can be used for laser communication. We have detectors follower 1 gigabit per second for 10 gigabit per second. And we are working in the Netherlands in a consortium, uh, which is FSO Instruments. And we can provide as a consortium the whole chain from, say, satellites, optical benches, uh, ground stations, etc. Yeah, that's a good good way of looking at it. The, looking at the whole supply chain there, because the, the whole ecosystem is going to be required to really accelerate the adoption of of optical communication systems. So, good luck with the project, and uh, yeah, we'll hope to see see the results of that. I have a final question for you both. I guess is in more generally, how do you see the the space industry evolving over the next say three to five years, uh, particularly in the area of satellite communications, beyond you know what we've discussed already? Are there th areas that you're most excited by? Anything that you're worried by? Why if you could just give us a brief overview? From my point of view, I think at this very moment, we are still looking at a lot of demonstrated prototypes, ideas uh, which can be implemented and can be useful. I think within five years, we will see a couple of commercial missions that are able to provide uh, inter-satellite links to make connections to satellites, to make connections to ground and have an overall communication network. It will not only be the Starlink that is now being worked on, it will also be competitor systems. And it will not only be the US, I also think in the Europe we can be a, an important player. There will be players in India, in China. 
maybe in Japan. So I think it will grow and it will grow fast. But first it has to be proven and we are now at the tipping point. I think within one year, one and a half years, a number of systems have proven itself and then it can grow incredibly. That is my expectation. I think that this is a really interesting time where we're at now because I think we are finally getting past the chicken and egg problem. I remember, for instance, when when everybody was talking about electrical cars and nobody was buying electrical cars because there were no charging stations. It's It's that kind of problem. And I think we will just need to have a couple of nations that are or or even consortia to look at the whole picture and just say we're going to take the step together and uh, and just make it happen so that the chicken and egg problem is addressed more or less simultaneously because you kind of need to and as bird already mentioned there are a couple of players out there there are demonstrators being built and at first, it's going to be individual and one-offs before the market will really take off. But it will definitely take off. Excellent. Well, I think that's a really um, positive view of the future of the industry. And uh, I personally, I hope you're both right that um, we can see this this rapid growth. And I think um, many industries and many different societies stand to benefit from that. Thank you very much to both of you for sharing with us the details today of optical communication systems in general and Hyperion's specific work in this area. I think um, the audience will have learned quite a lot about this and it's an exciting topic to keep an eye on for the future. As I said, best of luck with the projects and the IOD missions and um, hopefully we can hear back from you at some point soon about progress and other innovation in the space sector. Thank you, both of you. Absolutely. We'd be happy to be back. Thank you too for this nice podcast. To all our listeners, thank you for spending time with us today. Remember, you can find out more about Hyperion Technologies and the company's full portfolio of products and services at the global marketplace for space at satsearch.com. On the platform, you can see technical specifications of hardware and software, download CAD models, data sheets and other resources, and also make requests for quotes, introductions to companies or assistance with trade studies and procurement. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space Industry by Satsearch. I hope you enjoyed today's story about one of the companies taking us into orbit. We'll be back soon with more in-depth, behind-the-scenes insights from private space businesses. In the meantime, you can go to satsearch.com for more information on the space industry today, or find us on social media if you have any questions or comments. To stay up to date, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter, and you can also get each podcast on demand on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Store, or whichever podcast service you typically use.